Hello and welcome to the Ending Body Burnout Show. We are your hosts, Chris and Philly, co-founders of a multi-award winning functional medicine practice, serving busy people with energy, mood and gut issues. While busyness, addictive doing, people pleasing and perfectionism might be the norm, it's not normal and it's a major contributor to health issues. Our goal with this show is to give you a holistic root, root cause approach to healing your body so that you don't have to continue doctor or diet hopping or popping a gazillion supplements hoping something might stick. So get ready to heal your body, get your spark back, deeply connect with yourself and step into the life of your dreams. Let's Let's dive dive in. beautiful people. Welcome to the Ending Body Burnout Show. We are so excited to share this episode with you where we spoke to alcohol coach Emma Gilmore. If you are or have been in a state of body burnout where you're feeling exhausted, brain foggy, anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, irritable, and your body is screaming at you and feeling very inflamed, You have probably at some point, maybe if not now, used some sort of stimulant to help reduce your overwhelm and calm. And alcohol is one such thing that people use to try and cope with their state of body burnout. Definitely clinically when we have new clients start with us, most people will have some sort of comfort thing that they're doing that maybe isn't actually quite serving them and making things worse. Alcohol is one of them. Also see it with sugar, carbohydrates, processed foods, um, late not late night Netflix watching, scrolling through social media, sometimes even addictive exercising. And things can go haywire when you are squashing down your emotions and you're suffering with unhealthy habits that will cause more sickness and more inflammation. And so we wanted to dig into alcohol today with the wonderful Emma Gilmore, who is a certified counsellor, psychotherapist and alcohol coach. Now she has an interesting background. So she used to work 20 plus years in corporate marketing. And back then she was a mum fueled by adrenaline, coffee, and booze. (laughs) She was successful. She looked like she had it all, but on the inside, she was actually running on empty and feeling very burnt out to the point of almost experiencing a nervous breakdown. And when she reached her mid-40s, alcohol started to take more than it gave and so she began a very long and messy breakup with alcohol. And since then, she now loves helping other people, especially women in midlife, to coach through their own baggage that they're dealing with so that they can break free from alcohol too. And Emma is just a super awesome woman. She's perimenopausal mum, she calls herself. She's neurodivergent um, and has gender diverse teens. And she loves stand up paddle boarding, ocean swimming, and has recently purchased some gorgeous hot pink roller skates. And I would like to see her in action on those. So let's dive into this really amazing episode all about your relationship with alcohol. 
And do not expect quick fix strategies to try and willpower your way to quit alcohol. This is not what this episode is about. Rather, we're going to go really deep into unconscious core beliefs, trauma patterns, and cultural expectations, which often lead to struggles with alcohol and why some people try and give it up but end up yo-yoing their breakup with alcohol. G'day guys and welcome to the Ending Body Burnout Show. Super excited to have you with us on this episode. Today we've got the lovely Emma on our call and we're going to really dive deep into what she does and how she helps her clients, especially around alcohol. Uh, and Philly and I are really passionate about burnout, as you know. So love to hear your perspectives on this, Emma. Um, I say we dive straight into some questions. Yeah. Let's get ready to roll. Yeah, I'm really excited. Emma, we spoke this morning. I was on your podcast. We'll put a link to that one as well in the show notes. So I'm super excited to have the tables turned. We love to just get really personal with our guests. Just dive right into your own body burnout story. And I know that alcohol played a part of that as well. So you're happy to share what was happening around there, how you felt, coping mechanisms, all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Um, it's quite interesting. Sorry, so I remember. Hi. Nice to chat with you both. Um it was quite interesting, actually, because I don't think I realised the part that burnout was playing in my world for quite a long time. And I know, like many humans assigned female at birth, which is generally who I work with, and the reason I bring that up is because quite often still, and it's not, this isn't the case everywhere, but quite often still there's a, there's a certain, and I don't know whether, I don't know if it's necessarily to do with our kind of culture or anything in that respect, but women are still to a certain extent taking on quite a lot of the mental load in the household. And I definitely was using alcohol in order to push through, in order to suppress my nervous system and to ignore it. So when I was exhausted, I've always been, and I know Philly and I talked about this earlier, a bit of a workaholic. And so naturally that was one of my coping mechanisms along with many others, including alcohol. And it wasn't really until I took alcohol out of the equation that I realized just how burnt out I actually was because alcohol had actually allowed me to keep going way beyond what I would have been able to do mm. without it. And I hear that story in so many women in midlife as well. So I've got a few different things. So just to take you back to my own story with alcohol, I stopped drinking in January 2020 um, I had grown up with uh, very much drinking was part of my culture, my family culture. Um, as far as I was concerned, drinking was brilliant. I was brought up in the 90s. I worked in Soho in London for a media company. It was all, you know, uh, cocaine and alcohol. It was like good times, working hard, playing hard, etc. And 
it would have been completely extraordinary for me four years ago to imagine that I now work as a counsellor psychotherapist with people struggling with alcohol. It would have been beyond my, my brain would have exploded. Yeah. Because I believed that alcohol was part of my identity. It was cool. It was fun. Fun people drink and I was a fun person. And, you know, I had so many beliefs and perceptions around alcohol, which is so true to people who drink. They're actually just not true, but I believe them as much as I believe the sky is blue. I believe that alcohol made my life better and I was better when I was drinking it. People who didn't drink alcohol, in my opinion, which is very judgmental now, were a bit boring um, and I probably wouldn't have wanted to hang out with them. But that actually says more about me than it does about them. And it says more, so it's more about how I had been hoodwinked by the alcohol industry and by, you know, the, the, the cultural beliefs we have around alcohol, which is that we use alcohol to relax. The opposite is true. You guys know that. We know that alcohol puts our body into incredible stress and actually makes us more stressed in the long term than it relieves our stress. And in fact, keeps us at a level of stress that we wouldn't be if we weren't drinking alcohol. Mm. So it, 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 it's the case with every single element of, of alcohol that it is, it's literally the opposite of what it says on the tin. Mm. Um, and so for me, I got to a point where I had left my corporate job because I was unable to cope with a manager who came in above me. And I didn't realize this at the time, but she, I mean, the way she behaved wasn't okay, but I was not able to bounce back. I could not, I was not resilient enough because what had happened is I'd been crushing and suppressing my nervous system and my experience of life for so long that I was, I was as brittle as a piece of peanut brittle. Mm. Like I was ready to crack, shatter and fall on the floor. Mm -hmm. And I did. I did. Um, so I kind of woke up, woke up, I think I was about 45, and I had been aware that my drinking was probably a little bit more than I wanted to. I think most people who drink more than sort of like the odd glass here or there mm. um, generally know that it's not the thing, that it's not giving them, sun, you know, sunshine. And yeah. that most people I know, in a, if you took a crowd of, say, 20 people, I reckon half of them wish they were drinking less than they drink. And that's got to say something that's, that's kind of gets a bit fishy. It's a bit like, well, that's a question. That's quite interesting, isn't it? And yet no one talks about it. Um, so I, I was brittle. I left my job and kind of collapsed. And I had to rebuild myself up from scratch. I started with yoga, meditation. I was really just on the floor. I wouldn't have called it burnt out. I would have called it breakdown. Mm. Um, and I was going through a legal process and it was a whole load of stuff. And my identity was a question. I was like, well, who am I if I'm not a corporate marketing person? I don't know who that person is. I've spent my whole life wanting to be this human being. And now I'm not. And I don't think I can go back and do it because it's broken me. <laughs> of course, blaming everything else, right? Yep. Not. not <laughs> <laughs> And as I was building myself and I was doing all these healthy practices and I was really sort of like investigating where I wanted to go and I decided to retrain and become a counselor and psychotherapist. So I started doing that work and 
my drinking was still troubling me. It was like, I'm doing all these things, but I'm still drinking. It's still making me feel crap about myself. And the worst thing about it was that waking up in the morning, wishing I had drunk less than I had mm. and making myself, being mean to myself. And, and when I talk about, you know, the difference and probably my number one benefit from stopping drinking or taking a break from drinking is that stopping being mean to yourself thing. Mm. You know, actually being nicer to yourself, not waking up every morning and going, oh, God, I only meant to have one and I had a bottle or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and so I'd done the dry July's, the Feb fasts. I tried to do six weeks. Occasionally I'd managed eight weeks Hated every second of it. Felt so deprived. I was climbing the walls. And by the, by the end of those sessions, I would have like got very heavily back into alcohol again. Mm. And sometimes I would have broken a little bit earlier and drunk something really revolting in the cupboard just to, even though I hated every second of it, but I would have finished the bottle. Mm. And that was kind of where I was. Um, and then I did a program by This Naked Mind back in January 2020. And within two weeks... I had questioned my beliefs about myself to such an extent that it opened the door. It's like it opens the door to another reality. And I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> so if I believe all of this and it's not true, what else is there? What is? Whoa. And it blew my mind to such an extent because... I had this belief, the biggest belief I had about alcohol was that I believed, as like I say, as clearly as I believe the sky is blue, that I loved the taste of wine. I loved it. I loved it with a steak. I couldn't imagine anything better. And then I actually did, did the work and I looked at, was that true? And it turned out that about once a month, I really loved the taste of wine. Most of the rest of the time, it was pretty average and sometimes mainly disappointing because the way dopamine works in our system, right? Mm -hmm. So it gets us to want things more. So it makes them nicer in the imagination than they are in reality. So because it's a wanting thing, you know, it moves us towards something and then rewards us for getting it, right? So that blew my mind. I'm like, what? I don't love wine. Like, really? Jesus. Right, okay, well, this is, so that was kind of my experience. And that was a, within two weeks of doing that program, I was like phoning up the stake in mind saying, I need to do your coaching program. They're like, we haven't even got a coaching program. <laughs> I'm like, I need to do it. And there was like about, I don't know, 10 or 15 of us who ended up, they pulled one together and we did the first this naked mind coaching together. I did it alongside my counselor and psychotherapy training and started working in that pretty much as soon as I was out, out the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, because I was just so passionate about it and it changed so much of my, just changed my life completely. Taking us back to kind of what got me there, there was a few things and I would never have said, you know, it's very, it's very easy for us to think of people struggling with alcohol as being, you know, someone who's lost their house, someone who's sat in a corner, you know, with a, um, a brown paper bag and, you know, you know, really everything looks really bad. But really, my experience, the experience of most of the people that I work with is <clears throat> people who are struggling with alcohol are most people. Like about half, I reckon, of people who drink are struggling with not wanting to drink as much as they do and finding that the way that alcohol works with our chemistry is that it actually, it creates us, we, we feel like we need it in order to survive. Mm. And because our brain thinks that's true, it means that 
it's really, really difficult. So people beat themselves up. Oh, why can't I have two drinks like normal people? It's like not one number one, normal is a nonsense. Number two, why would you want to be that? And number three, it's not normal. The way that the chemistry works, you have to have incredible guardrails in place. And people have guardrails like religion. They have guardrails like um, alcoholic parents. They have guardrails like an extreme fear of losing control. There are all sorts of guardrails there that help people make, you know, a different decision. But as soon as you start associating alcohol with relief from pain, it becomes, and by that I mean like emotional pain as much as physical pain, it becomes, there's a different relationship. It becomes like an emotional relationship as well. But this idea that there's this metaphorical, like two glasses of wine that's, you know, everybody dreams of, and they make themselves so bad and people beat themselves up like I used to because they can't achieve this two glasses of wine fallacy. The fact of the way that alcohol works chemically in our body means that we'd be incredible humans. We'd be the willpower that we'd be using, which would be exhausting, would be phenomenal. Um, where am I going with this? I was harking back, I think, to the reasons that I stopped. I think I had a few things, and I was—I think I was while well, I was trying to talk about the fact that it's an everything. It's, it's almost an everyone problem. And we don't think it is. We still have this whole, like, belief that it's an innocuous substance. And people say things like, you know, oh, you know, can't you just moderate? Can't you just, you know, have one, you know, can't you just, yeah. Isn't, isn't there any balance? And it's like, well, would you say that about cigarettes? Would you say that about cocaine? It's the only drug that you have to justify not doing. Mm which is a really interesting um, phrase, not mine, somebody else's that I've stolen. But I remember I had things like my son said to me, he was 11, I was putting him to bed. He said, stop, mum, can you not bring wine into the bedroom when you're putting us to bed? Because it makes me anxious. Mm. That was one of my... Mm. I still carried on drinking the wine, put him to bed. But it was one of those ones that starts sort of creeping into your brain, into the knowing, into the real, you know, if you actually can get to your intuition. Mm which is hard when you're smothering it with booze and pushing it down. But that's what was one. I had another situation where I fell over. I wasn't, I hadn't even drunk that much, but I went to emergency and the guy, the person, the doctor on duty wrote, pissed and fell into a wine, a, a rose bush. And I was mortified. I was like, oh my God, that's on my medical records. So it's just a few little things like that. Yeah. That kind of led me to where I've got to. And I can talk about Bernetta slightly separately because that's something that's kind of grown in our household with our diagnoses and all kinds of other stuff. Mm. But it definitely, alcohol played a part in it in that it's, it allowed me to suppress my nervous system reality for a very long time, which then meant that I was very susceptible to when other stresses come in. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. That kind of leads me to next question around what would be the signs that people could look out for in terms of are you drinking too much? You mentioned a few things like some stories or children reflecting back on you. And also you said, I woke up one day or I kept waking up feeling crap about myself. Can you kind of dig into what are the signs? Because sometimes people might 
have a feeling that they might be drinking too much but not really sure, you know, because when we spoke earlier, it was like it's kind of normal. It's it's the norm that a lot of people drink. So what, what would you say are the signs that someone's relationship with alcohol is kind of becoming dysfunctional? I think the minute you're asking yourself the question, it's something that needs to be investigated. Because it's not like it's a thing that we believe that it gives us a lot, but it actually doesn't. It's like it's not true. It really, you know, it's one of the biggest causes of death, both direct and indirect, more so than pretty much anything else in the drugs and alcohol space. Um, so it's not an innocuous substance. And it's very, very, as you know, it's very, has a huge amount of... Um, it's a carcinogen it's got huge amounts so people don't want to hear that it's not very interesting for people but that's the situation so if you're feeling for a moment that you want to look into your relationship with alcohol I would suggest it's probably one of the very best things that you could ever do and you think it's going to be shit but it's not shit it's the opposite it's amazing when you stop drinking because you suddenly start to realize who you actually are and I think for me the biggest and for most of the clients I work with the biggest eye-opener is you realize that you were using alcohol to be what society expects us as a human being to be in this world Mm. and what I found when I went like I when I was in corporate I was an ENTJ I don't know if you guys have ever done Myers-Briggs testing but an ENTJ right is like the corporate perfection a bit of an asshole leader not not heavy on the detail um and it's kind of what you all want to be right in corporate I was that for my 20 25 years in corporate when I stopped drinking and I took a few years to start doing the work on myself and I started to discover the human being that I put away at various times during my life in order to become what society needed me to be an extrovert a um person who loves public speaking, a um, driven, productive um, human being, doing all of the impossible to do things. I found that that wasn't me at all. Like I wasn't that person. I was actually a little bookworm that I put away when I was five. And now my whole job is bringing that bookworm back up into this grown-up world because I left her behind all this time. She can cause me problems now. (laughs) And the opportunity to, I mean, for me, we're put on this earth to grow, right? We haven't been put on this earth to spend the mornings going, oh God, I wish I hadn't drunk so much. I mean, what bandwidth, what a waste of time that is. What bandwidth does alcohol take up? You asked the question, sorry. So to go back to your, your, your question is, when would you... When would you think that you might want to be questioning your relationship with alcohol? I would say everybody should be questioning their relationship with alcohol because it's a poisonous drug Mm. and it's addictive. And the problem that we have in our society is we believe the problem's with the person. It's not with the person. The person's not the problem. The alcohol is an an addictive substance that's harmful to everybody. Mm. And unfortunately for some of us, that might be our thing, our coping mechanism, along with you know, it could be shopping, could be Netflix. For me, it was being managing my eating in a 
um, unhealthy way. Um, it can be working, whatever your, your coping mechanism is, it's just a coping mechanism, right? Mm. So it's the thing that serves you until it doesn't, it's your way. As you know, your body trying to keep itself safe in a world that's made it feel so fucking unsafe. Mm. And that's for me, it's like that little five-year-old, that little 11-year-old who lost her best friend and decided she better toughen up and start playing with the cool kids. Those little people, every time I drank... I drank them away. I left them behind again. I kept leaving them behind. Mm. And for me, the most motivating thing about stopping drinking or taking a break from drinking is the opportunity to go back and find who we are at source. You know, we talked about this, didn't we, Philly? Mm. It's like we were put on earth to be this amazing human, not to have to drink through stuff because we hate it. In reality, and that's the interesting thing, the best thing about stopping drinking is you find out what you actually enjoy. Mm. I had no idea I didn't enjoy the things I was doing. I thought they were brilliant. I thought they were fun. But I obviously didn't think they were fun because I had to drink to do them. Mm. Mm. (laughs) It's all absolute topsy-turvy land. It's like the blue pill, red pill. Everything we've been told is true, the opposite of true. The way to stop drinking or to change a relationship with drinking isn't to be an asshole to yourself. It's to love yourself to death. It's like, you know, it's not to be mean to yourself or judge yourself or say I'm a shit person. It's to find out what is so awful for you and how do you learn to manage that part of your, your distress, how to, how to hold yourself in your discomfort, how to manage your nervous system, because we're never taught to, right? We're never taught to manage our nervous system. We're never taught to manage our emotions. And that's why people drink. Or we're never taught to put ourselves first. And we, you know, we're people pleasing. We're doing all this stuff. Mm. And our, in reality, our nervous system shot to pieces because we're exhausted. We've been at work all day. And then we've got to come home and do all the kids' stuff. And then probably have sex. And then just do all this stuff. And we've just got the only way we could <laughs> do it is to keep overriding our nervous system, which says we just need to sit down and put a rest. I hope that answers. Yeah. I love it. So you just said something really cool just before. What's so awful for you? And and then before you said, talked about coping mechanisms uh, as regards to alcohol being, you know, addictive and, and, and poison, but it keeps you safe in the, in the insanity. And on my, on my paper, I just wrote that down as a, as an interesting point. Because a lot of times we feel this is this ex- my experience in this moment is awful. We might not consciously say those words, no. uh, but you say I need a drink. Right? Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's just like <laughs> all this happens. Need. Ding. Yeah. And then and you say, you know, I need a drink. Um, and th- this is really uh, interesting for for me. I'm not sure how you feel. Philly and I don't drink, and yeah. and it's very interesting to to hear your your stories around your experience. But also, I, I love how you said it keeps me safe. In, alcohol tends to keep people safe in the insanity. And if we can look around and just say, "Well, hang on a minute, is this insanity? Why why do I perceive this to be insanity? Why is this such an awful mm-hmm. issue for me?" untangling those stories, those insecurities, those perceptions, when you notice that alcohol or drinking is a problem for you. I, th- I think that as soon as that, as soon as you get to that point where you're just aware, you're like, 
oh, I actually, Houston, we have a problem here. Um, yeah. I, that, a, that was awesome. Sorry. Go. Chris, I was just going to say it's a brave person now to go because society is like, oh, we've stigmatised it so much and it's been stigmatised for very good reasons because there's a lot of people who really benefit from everybody believing that alcohol is brilliant and it's only those people in the corner that are the problem. Mm. It works out so well for so many parts of our society. Um, and it's it's really, really hard for people, and as you'll know this as well, but to, that fear of not being part of the group, what happens if I... Especially if you've got a you know a, a base belief that you're going to be alone or you're going to be rejected or you're not worthy or you're, you know, how freaking terrifying mm. to do something that everybody's telling you is brilliant. Mm. It's the best thing since sliced bread. All your friends are doing it. All your social life's about it. That's terrifying. Mm. I actually had a conversation with a new client, very first conversation, and at the end we're talking about alcohol intake. He's like, yeah, I'm going to – it's really hard though because it's what my friend expects me to do when I'm with him. And then I can't remember what I said exactly, but I just started questioning. Oh, he said something like, I think I'm – he's going to get offended And I'm like, I don't think that's your fear. Yeah, that might be like a surface level of, oh, I'm not drinking anymore at the moment. I don't want to offend you. Actually, the fear is I might be rejected when I offend you. And I might end up alone. And I might end up alone. You know, it's a real base human fear. Mm. So, of course, and, you know, for so many people drinking, and this is one of the reasons I'm not, at all judgmental about it because number one, I've been there and I was probably as, you know, the biggest, you know, cheerleader for drinking was there out there. But also it's there for a reason, right? Our body doesn't do something for no reason. Our body is drinking because it's the only way it knows how to manage this. Mm. And yeah. until we find another way, it's safer for it to drink than to be with whatever it's trying to avoid. Mm, It's so interesting. Everything, the way that you're talking about alcohol is also the way that we talk about physical health issues, like whether it's fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue. It's actually, it is actually like alcohol in that it's there to try and try to protect you in some way, but actually it's there because you're suppressing something deeper that you need to acknowledge and work through specifically about yourself and until when you do that like we've seen clients symptoms completely disappear exactly and I'm sure it's the same with alcohol it's just like it's no longer hard to avoid it I actually don't want it yes I don't need it it's interesting because we think of alcohol as this separate thing to everything else it's not it's everything else alcohol is just the band-aid right Mm just a band-aid it's just a, it, and that's why when people are like well give me the top 10 tips and I want to do this because I want to do this weight and I want to be more productive it's like I'm not the coach for you mm-hmm. there are plenty of other people who can do that with you I'm not about that we don't do that 
Can we talk a bit about that then? Because a lot of like people's strategy, if they want to give up alcohol or, you know, other addictions like sugar, Netflix, whatever it is, is that I'm just going to willpower my way through. Just give me the top 10 strategies and I'm going to make sure I do, I avoid this at all costs. Why does that not work? Because it sounded like that was the way that you tried initially, but it was almost like this yo-yo experience. Yeah, absolutely. And it's what we're all taught to do, right? We've got to pull our socks up, grind down, it's going to be bloody awful and we've just got to have to get on with it. Come on. And if you, if you don't do it, you're weak. You know, it's your, it's a you problem. It's no one else. You're terrible. Just try harder. Try harder. Come on. She's not working hard enough at it. You're just a silly idiot, right? <laughs> I'm only saying that because that's the sort of thing I'd say to myself. Yeah. But it's, it's not about that at all. It's like you say, it's willpower is a finite resource. It's a, like a muscle. We use it in the, it, you know, there's huge of science, amounts of science around how it actually depletes our energy. Trying is like the worst thing, like trying. Exhausting. I love it. Like Yoda says, there's no try, do, right? Mm. It's trying requires energy. Doing is clean. Doing is neutral. Trying is mm. there's friction. It's friction. It's like wanting. There's this friction. Um, mm. So for me, willpower is a very different method. Now, again, not criticizing any other methods because there's a lot of other methods that work in this way and they make the person the problem and but that's not for me that's not the way I work for me anything that puts your nervous system under stress which willpower does is not going to be helpful because we so I'll be the absolute opposite of putting up in the corner and pretending it's not happening I'm like let's get into this so if people have a slip up or as I call it a data point, no dramas. As long as we're prepared to look at what happened and make a plan for what we're going to do next time to make it less likely to happen and to get into what the reaction might have been about and what the trauma might be behind that and just you know as long as we're prepared to do all of that stuff, slip up's not an issue. Yeah. Slip up's just learning to do something. It's just learning that you don't know how to do something yet. Mm. Mm. But, of course, we get into this black and white thinking, this perfectionism nonsense with alcohol. Well, I've screwed up. I've got to go back to the beginning. Mm. I'm a failure. (laughs) May as well not keep trying. (laughs) I'll never be able to do this. I'll screw it. Let me get sloshed. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. And it's it's, But it's the way we've been taught, isn't it? It's like that's how it works. This black and white is like dieting. It's the same thing. It's like, right, well, that's it. I've screwed it all up. I'll just go and eat a cake. I even see it with people like if we're treating um, body systems, you know, say supplements, like ah, far yeah. out, didn't take my lunchtime dose, I'm going, oh, well, I just won't do it for the rest of the week. <laughs> like it shows up, it can show up anywhere. Yeah. yeah, and willpower, like I say, is very, very tiring for people. Mm. And that's why often people say, I'm so tired of doing this. Mm. I'm so tired of trying to stop drinking. I'm getting it's the trying, out. It's the willpower. Because what basically happens is your body goes, I'm having a, I'm in discomfort. I'm in discomfort, which is your craving. And then I will never call it a wine witch because I think any time that we're shitty to any part of our human self is not helpful. To me, it's the wine saviour. 
the wine saviour comes in with his little cape. He's like, you're in discomfort. I'm here. Yeah. And I think it's so cute. I can just see him like a little animated figure. Like, I'm here to help you. And then judgment's like, oh, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to pull our straps up. And so judgment and little flying cape man, and I'm doing weird hand gesticulations now for anyone. So good. Are having this argument and our body's in stress. And we're in this big sort of horrible turbulence in ourselves. And really what we needed to ask was, hey, sounds like you're feeling something really shitty right now. Mm. What's happening? Mm-hmm. What's happening? But, of course, because we've been conditioned not to feel and that anger's bad, sadness is bad, being too excited is bad, and all of these other things, we don't know how to do it because no one's ever shown us. Mm. And so part of the work that I do with people is teaching them how to do grounding and so we do a lot of grounding work where we sit and we try and because a lot of my people are neurodivergent people diagnosed or undiagnosed as well and so for a lot of us we either feel heaps or we don't feel anything Uh, we don't so we have really bad interceptive awareness which of course is something you can learn and so a lot of work is you know learning to improve our interceptive awareness also you know for example for me i'm a person who doesn't feel very much why is that very interesting for me? Mm. I'm pretty sure I don't not feel very much. Pretty sure I feel heaps, mm. but I'm still in quite a lot of shutdown because that's kept me mm. able to continue and it still does. And so for me, it's always a learning. How do I how do I manage my alexithymia? How do I manage my interceptive awareness? And I work with my clients on that as well. So we get into the body. It's like, you know, feeling the carpet on the floor making sure you, what does your toe feel like against that fabric? You know, like I say, squeezing your hand for 30 seconds and then holding it open for 30 seconds. These are brilliant ways in the moment to regulate your REM system, as I'm sure you know, because the minute your brain starts thinking Mm. about the sensation in your hand, it's no longer, you're taking it out of that sympathetic, parasympathetic Mm. nervous system response. And so those are great for in the moment, but getting into a practice of being able to ground, which is probably my most used technique with my clients every time I speak with them, every time we're on group, every time we're in one-to-one, we start with grounding and we work with our intuition and we try and source it and we find out, you know, if what the what we're feeling had a voice, what would it say? And often judgment will come in or someone else will come in having a go. But actually, you know, we're like, oh, no, if judgment wouldn't mind just standing aside for a moment so we can hear what this feeling's actually about and what this person's actually feeling because they're allowed to feel. Um, and just standing, it's like for me it's growing human. Once you stop drinking, it's like you leave yourself, your emotional development all the different times you abandoned yourself in growing up and as an adult and this is now you have to kind of go back and go okay so this part of me is acting up because it feels this but I I'm going to have to now go back and I'm going to have to teach you that it's okay for it to feel angry and unhappy and judgment can shush for a minute because we love your judgment thank you I understand we understand what you're doing and we're not going to be your enemy but if you could just let us have a conversation what's really going on, that would be amazing. Mm. 
And we're going to stand next to that little person. We're going to hold their hand and we're going to say, I see you. I hear that you're feeling like shit today and that you're really angry that your kids aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And you wish that things were different than how they are. And I get that. I validate it. And I'm next to you and we're a grown up now. Mm. And we're going to do this together. We can do this. And it's that approach as opposed to the willpower punishment approach that I have found much, much, and all the all the research and evidence, as I'm sure you guys know, shows that compassion, working on the cause, working on the roots, working on building our relationships with ourselves, working to identify where our triggers are coming from and why we feel that we can't manage, and, and then learning with things like grounding, like particular practices you know even just you know all the normal practices that you have so when people work with me post 30 days alcohol free we tend to start putting together like our intentions so you'd go through you know what's your mindfulness intention how you're going to nourish yourself how you're going to move your body um those kinds of things to create this scaffolding to support your growing a human Mm, that's cool growing a grown-ass grown-up human a big girl, a big girl or a big boy. We're a big girl. Jeez. I mean, like you said, Philly, when imagine if we were all walking around as our real humans, mm. not all trying to be like everybody else. Mm. I mean, what an amazing, creative, extraordinary world this would be. Yeah. I love it. So nice. Oh, this has been awesome. Really cool. Chris always writes little notes and there's a lot of scribbles. Lots he's of got notes. some he's got some Emma quotes. <laughs> got lots of Emma quotes. I got a page. I got a good page. My uh, I, I, I still love that. What's awful for you? Uh thank you. Thank you, judgment. Mm, I hear yeah. you. I see you and I see what you're doing. I understand what you're doing. Let's hear from someone else right now. Uh just take a take a seat for a minute. Let's move over to Hey, what what's going on? What I understand the kids are doing things that you don't want them to do and understand that all the I see you and, and just hearing from those those different parts. Mm-hmm. Um I can understand the grounding aspect because if you're not self-aware uh of what's going on inside you, maybe you'll fluke it, but but there'd be very little to if any. Uh, consistent awareness and change that would go on, hey? Yeah, it's one of the hardest things because as women, particularly because a lot of us have dieted and exercised, we've basically pushed down our needs for so long. It's really hard to feel them whether or not you're neurodiverse. Mm. It's like we've we've almost made it, like it's going on it. We're going back in an investigation and, and sometimes we can feel a tiny little thing and, and we all feel things and, you know, perceive things differently, don't we? It's like some of us, you know, might see, a, we might be able to name an emotion. Another person might see a colour. It, it, we've got to be kind of flexible with all of this as well because there's another thing, particularly with us neurodivergences, we can quite get quite rigid. Well, I can't do this. Mm. That's really hard. That's awesome. well, I can't do this. I'm not feeling anything. I'm not feeling it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But actually, you can feel the texture of the carpet mm. under your foot. Mm. Mm-hmm. And actually, you are getting a bit of a sore neck. Mm. And what happens when you pay attention to that? 
it's not that you can't feel things in your body. It's just that it's a skill that we need to start to learn. And often those of us who experience the world in a very intense way, we've had to kind of shut ourselves down to be able to cope. And so it's like bringing ourselves back in a way that feels safe. It's like, I I like to think of it as like a, like like I'm a DJ, like I'm a 50 year old, middle-aged, slightly (laughs) dumpy DJ. Yeah. And we just like lean in a little bit to the feeling. Uh, So good. Well, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. I know everyone's going to get so much, even if someone has listened to this and, you know, maybe alcohol isn't their coping mechanism, but it's so relatable to any behavioral pattern that someone is currently stuck in, um, in order to become unstuck. Now you have a retreat coming up. Hey, do you want to speak to that? And also you've generously given us, um, some downloads that our listeners can listen to. Do you want to chat about those and also how people can find you? Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me, Chris and Philly. And I hope you didn't mind my uh, ADHD (laughs) word. I hope it made sense. Um, You can find me at uh, www. I don't know why I say that. I think it's because I'm 50. (laughs) Hoperisingcoaching.com or my uh, Instagram handle is at hoperisingcoaching. I've got a few downloads like Philly said brilliant one the awareness download that's your place to start also I've got the grounding download, so you can do that yourself as well and just see what that's a really good way for dealing with cravings so that would be a really good one to look at that's free and then the awareness one is wherever you are in your relationship with alcohol this is a really good one to do and even if you don't want to stop or take a break or cut down just shining a light on how you are drinking and being a bit mindful with it like what it tastes like in your mouth what it feels like in your head especially because we know that dopamine kind of gives us a bit of um amnesia around what the reality is it's really good to when am i reaching for another glass what's my routine and ritual around alcohol those sort of things so the awareness worksheets are brilliant and they can actually i've had people say to me that they've changed their relationship with alcohol just by doing those awesome um and then my virtual retreat is on the 19th of february it's called five days to freedom it's online so it's on zoom um, it's a webinar with a Q&A afterwards, and I'm basically going to take you through the five principles of the way that I work with people around alcohol, and we'll, we'll be pretty interactive. Um, and there's also like a workbook that you can download. So there'll be all sorts of things in there, sort of techniques and heaps and heaps of stuff. So that would be a really great thing to come along to if you're interested in changing your relationship with alcohol. Yeah, thank you so much. So good. Awesome. Well, Emma, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, really excited to, to have you as a guest today. Uh, I've got so many notes. Hopefully, listeners, you you all have received something. Um, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. We so appreciate you. If you'd like to give us extra smiles, drop us a review and spread the love by sharing this episode. 
You can also rate your own state of burnout and the root cause contributors by taking our Ending Body Burnout Assessment on our website. And if you're interested in learning about our group or one-on-one Ending Body Burnout programs, shoot us a DM via Instagram or Facebook. Have Have the the best best day day ever. ever. (laughs) 